Support comes from Adelaide Interiors. Their design team can expertly manage every detail of your renovation and remodeling project from start to finish. From bathrooms to kitchens, appliances, cabinets, countertops, flooring, and coverings. More at Adelaide.com. Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. And when I saw that with her handwriting after she had passed, it felt like a warm hug from her. I'm Delia Colon, and this is The Zest, citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Cooking blogs are all over the internet, but what gets lost when a recipe goes from handwritten to typed out? And how can we get that back? Judy Gallagher has a passion for preserving her family's handwritten recipes. The Sarasota chef says cooking and baking have been therapeutic during some of the most challenging times in her life, including a tough childhood with her father who suffered from mental illness, a contentious divorce, and her adult son's debilitating health condition. So for Judy, her family's handwritten recipes are more valuable than a pound of saffron or the rarest truffles. Judy is a chef, TV personality, entrepreneur, and the author of Reflections and Recipes of Chef Judy, which is available on Amazon. In our conversation, Judy shared the story of how she started baking as a young girl, and I do mean young, and advice for preserving your own treasured recipes. Now, you're based in Sarasota, correct? That's right. Is that where you're from, or where were you born? No, I grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, then went to college in Rhode Island, and then lived in Boston and Gloucester for about 15 years. We moved down here about 24 years ago. Okay, I can hear the Boston. (laughs) (laughs) Still, you should hear my husband, because my husband still is Pac the Cat. Pac the Cat, Harvard Yard. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're from up north, but what is your heritage? And I'm asking because I wonder if that plays a background in your cooking or baking. I think it does. The heritage is my my Nana, my mother's mother, which I was very close to, um, Eastern European Jew. So we had a lot of the traditional apple strudels, sweet and sour stuffed cabbage, mushroom barley soup, um, homemade blintzes, a lot of Jewish cooking came from her. It's so funny. She taught me how to cook when I was a child, but she never taught my mother. So when my mother got married, she didn't know how to boil water. So my mom like really learned from like these really simple like Betty Crocker cookbooks and things like that. But I kind of, my Nana let me play with the dough from the time I was like three or four years old. So I was, I was so into it. I was so into it. That's all I wanted to do was play, you know, restaurant and then play um, grocery store. And so my mom would take all these things out of the cabinet and I had a fake register and we would pretend and I'd say, oh, hello, Mrs. Cooper. How are you today? Would you like something from the butcher? You know? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cute. <laughs> so, so your grandma taught you to cook. 
but did not teach your mom. It skips a generation. But not my mom. (laughs) Yeah, my nana, because that back in the day, you know, from New York, kids came home for lunch and she had three kids and all three kids like different things. She would make three homemade soups every day for lunch and then start working on dinner. She made everything from scratch, her own horseradish sauce. I mean, everything. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm feeling the mom guilt. Can I ask, in in what year were you born and what was kind of the climate? Were a lot of your other friends cooking? Well, this is what's funny. I was born in 1960. So I was used to homemade everything. And all of a sudden, my mother discovered convenience food, like Entenmann's and stuff like that. And I refused to eat it. I mean, as a five-year-old on my palate, I could taste the chemicals. So I thought, well, if she's not going to make, you know, homemade sour cream coffee cake, I'm just going to make it every week. So I climbed up on a stool and found the recipe and just started baking it and asked my mom, like I wasn't allowed to use the stove or the oven without help. So I'd ask her to put it on and she'd look over and I'd have like in a bunt pan, this like beautiful sour cream coffee cake. And then I just kept baking and baking. And, you know, the baking was also very cathartic and healing for me because I came from a very dysfunctional father who was extremely bipolar. And it was almost like my escape was to throw myself into baking and cooking and then share with all the neighbors and get all this positive feedback. There was just something that just drew me into the aroma. But a lot of it about being born in 1960 was convenience foods were coming out and I would have no part of it at all. And neither did my Nana, but my mother just thought it was like, so cool. When I went to sixth grade, my mom started working first part-time and then full-time. So I said, well, I'll cook dinner, you know, you let's, we'll plan it out. I'll, I'll make roast chicken and I'll, I'll make spaghetti and meatballs. I've watched you enough. And so it was really kind of funny, you know, cause she was trying like all this really terrible, like frozen chicken pot pies. And oh, I just couldn't deal with it. I mean, I was, and I was a very picky eater as a child, but I wanted to cook all the time. Oh my goodness. You were so spoiled. <laughs> I know. With, with your know. nana's so, cooking. I'm a child of the 80s. And if it's not like a toaster strudel or, you know, rice or right. or hamburger helper, like that was my childhood. Shout out to my mom who worked very hard. So what did your mom do? And then was your dad, was he in the picture? What was he? What was My he dad doing? was in the picture, um, but it was a real chaotic, you know, you'd sit down to like a Thanksgiving dinner and you knew he was going to blow. You just didn't know if it was going to be during the fruit cup or the main turkey, or the pie. So it, it was a very, I was very anxious. And, um, and, and baking and cooking soothed that in me too. You know, I could almost just, I just focused on the recipes or trying something a little bit different. And that really helped. It helped kind of shield me from what was going on and all the noise you know, that was happening. So it, it kind of saved me as a child in a way. Wow. So how old were you when you were baking these really fancy? I started baking. I asked for an easy bake when I was five and I think by six for Hanukkah, I got one. And so I started, you know, with those terrible 
terrible packets. I would make like a chocolate cake, you know, you, those were the days where the easy bake oven had a light bulb. And then I would put strawberry jam and then do another layer. And I would sell them at my lemonade stand. Stop. And the postman always tipped me extra. So it was really cool, you know, and that was like my first experience. And then I thought, no, I can do better than this. So I started learning how to make like homemade muffins and things like that. And I think, although my parents realized I had a real knack for it and loved it, my first job was like at a Bonanza steakhouse and I was the order taker. So I'd say in the microphone, ordering two medium rare ribeyes with baked potato. And my favorite part was I was in charge of the dessert case. So I got to take this awful canned vanilla and chocolate pudding, but swirl it around, you know, and make it look really pretty. And the manager once told me that they sold more desserts when I was the order taker because the way I did like the cheesecake and everything like just so. So, um, you know, that was another really, it just, it just kept pushing me towards the culinary arts and that. So I kind of think I was just born into being a chef, but everything does come full circle and it's always through butter and sugar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always through butter and sugar. You should just like make it into a perfume of some sort. <laughs> no, who would buy that? To God, there are days I want to take pure vanilla extract and just rub it on my wrists and dab it behind my ears because that is to me is just heaven is that beautiful aroma. Mm, okay, well, that could get messy during summer in Florida, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. I have to ask you about some of these handwritten recipes. You sent me a few and we'll post them on our social media at The Zest Podcast. Let's talk about a couple of your favorites. Who wrote them? Why are they so special to you? And where do you keep them? Well, I have two boxes. One is um, from my sister's condo that I found shortly after she passed away. And I opened the box and it was the most wonderful, tearful time I saw Judy's apple crisp. And Hillary was a very literal person. She was an educator. She had just become the youngest principal at a bilingual elementary school in Connecticut. And so she had to know like precise, you know how like, I was like my Nana, well, you take about this much and you do, and you got to just feel it with your hands. And she needed to know literally. And when I saw that with her handwriting after she had passed, it felt like a warm hug from her. I smiled remembering her um, saying, no, tell me exactly how much and having her put her hands in the dough, which she didn't like doing because you had to feel the texture. I mean, it was the most wonderful, joyful thing. It didn't get printed out from a computer. It was her handwriting. And I think that means a lot when it's somebody that you're attached to, their handwriting. You see the food in the corner of the card because they've been using it so much and maybe touching it while they were cooking. But the funniest story I have is both my sister and my mother had my Nana's recipe 
for a non-dairy noodle pudding, which is very Jewish. And we loved that noodle pudding. And I was thinking the other day when you and I were conversing on the email that I remember the time my mother put pineapple in this award-winning noodle kugel that my Nana actually won a trip to the Catskills on. And we were horrified because everybody had the recipe and it didn't call for pineapple. And that was like shameful, you know? So I went through and sure enough, you know, we all have the original recipe. And even though I know that recipe by heart, there's sometimes on like Mother's Day, I'll pull it out and just make it to make me feel a little bit closer to them, things like that. The penmanship is just as important to me as the recipe because it just brings me back, brings me back to my mother's table or my sister coming into my restaurant and me giving her like 10 spoons and she would just go around and taste everything. And it just draws you back in and no one can take that memory away. And don't get me wrong, I get plenty of inspiration on the internet but it just can't touch your heart the same way as handwritten recipes do. I think that's really true. Something about handwriting is just, it it just like hits you right in your soft spot. How can we preserve these handwritten recipes or even turn them into gifts? Because as you said, they're on these pages that are covered in, you know, sauce and butter and maybe they're right. torn, which is part of the charm, but we also want to keep them around. You know, you want them around for your son and future generations. So do you have any ideas on that? Well, I found that although I keep both boxes in my office with my hundreds of cookbooks, what I have found is that if you really want to be careful, just like a business card file that was laminated, you can do that with the recipe cards. And to keep the theme of it going, what I do is like last year for one of my assistants who was getting married, I threw her bridal shower and everyone got a mason jar with like caramel popcorn and nuts and things to go with a bow and a recipe card. And I told them they are to keep When they're done with the mason jar, they're to fill it with their favorite spice or seasoning and hand write a recipe on the recipe card. So it keeps that tradition alive. When COVID is over and I go back to having dinner parties, I always have a little gift for everybody at the table. It might be a teeny herb, but then I'll have a recipe maybe for a special arugula pesto, or I might hand write, you know, one of my mother's recipes and just write it again. Whenever my nephews come to visit, they're grown up and, you know, they'll ask for, will you make stuffed cabbage? I make sure that not only do I make it, but I hand him my handwritten copy of the family stuffed cabbage recipe or things like that. So that's how I think everybody can really restore and still keep that momentum of that feeling alive of family and friends, special dishes. It's so much more than the taste. It just brings you back to them and that experience of when you were eating it, sharing it with them. It really does. A couple of friends did that for my bridal shower. And now a few of the people who were there and wrote the recipes 
have passed on, but I have these recipes that they wrote in their handwriting for me. I'm getting teared up just thinking about it, Judy. I've also seen people do like tea towels. And if you're not, you know, artsy, you can go on Etsy or, you know, you can go on Shutterfly and have a book made. There are just so many cool ways to preserve these recipes. Can you talk about the evolution of the way recipes are written? It seems like someone who's just a natural chef and baker like yourself, it's just a pinch of this and a handful of that. And then if your sister's trailing you in the kitchen trying to figure out how to do it, she really needs those details. I spoke with someone a few months ago, Dr. Fred Opie, who wrote a book about Zora Neale Hurston, um, the anthropologist and writer Mm -hmm. who was a Floridian, and the recipes of her time. And they were so simple because it was assumed that everyone knew how to cook. <laughs> so the right, detail right. just wasn't needed. So what have you noticed about recipes from maybe your grandmother's time, your mother's time, and now today? Well, of course, generationally, these, some of the ingredients change. I think we're finally coming back to like growing our own herbs, even if it's just a little herb box on your windowsill. But I think people are coming back to using the products that are the freshest and not convenient. So what I do is I'll take and write in the handwritten recipe card, I'll write a memory of the person that taught me how to make this dish. And then I'll always in the bottom, give them some extra clues. Like, and you can always substitute Greek yogurt for this. And you can try doing this instead of this. I don't like leftovers. So I love to take a recipe, make it one way, and then the next day make it into another dish. So often I'll write like a PS on the recipe card and give them another whole dish. And what I'll write is something very antidotal about how the first time I made it, it was quite mushy and awful. And you you know, things like that. So it ties that back in and people tend to start getting the idea of collecting them. And like you said, of holding for people that have passed, like my Aunt Helen, who made this simple dish of Spanish rice, but made it so good. Like to have that card is just such a joy. Oh, I just love these ideas. Judy, it has been so much fun talking to you. I have all the feels. I feel warm. I feel buttery and sugary. And (laughs) (laughs) what about a word of encouragement for the people who somehow managed to not get on the pandemic baking train and are just now looking to get started with making something special? Because it is really special to have a family recipe, even if it's, you know, Kugel that you only make once a year. You know, it's so true. Well, I think that one thing the pandemic has forced us to do is that we do usually, unless you're, you know, a parent with young children and you're trying to school them and everything, I say do whatever is convenient in a healthy way. A great lesson with children is to bake because you teach them measurements. How many tablespoons is a half a cup? 
let's measure it out together. So you're starting to do a little bit of math with that. And so they become interested because they know they're going to end up getting chocolate cake out of this. And it's okay if the cake comes out lousy. I've had terrible failures as a young child and as a professional chef. It's all okay. But I think the important thing is to start drawing in your pot of people right now that while you're still, you know, semi, you know, isolating and pick something, let, especially with children, let them pick. And the whole lesson of teaching kids not only to perhaps bake for a neighbor or somebody elderly that might be alone is to them handwrite a note, you know, and that makes that person or color them a picture on the recipe card. And that makes them feel really good and connected to that child as well. Oh, for sure. I always tell my daughter to leave a note in the cookbook, what she liked, what she changed, which is something I learned from my mom. But part of it is I just want her handwriting in that cookbook. And to her, it's like sacrilegious. We're writing in a book, but. (laughs) Right. Oh, it's wonderful. It's to me, a good cookbook has faded pages and ripped pages and oatmeal stuck on the corner and exactly your notes or another family member's notes. I think that that is just wonderful. And you, it, it does, fills your heart. It just fills your heart. It really does. Well, Chef Judy Gallagher, thank you so much for your time. This conversation felt like a warm hug to me. So I just, me I too. wish you all the best on your cooking, your baking, your your butter perfume or whatever else you've got on your sleeve. <laughs> it's been such a delight talking to you and I truly appreciate the time. Judy Gallagher is a chef, TV personality, entrepreneur, and the author of Reflections and Recipes of Chef Judy, which is available on Amazon. You can read more about Judy's incredible story of resilience in the summer issue of Forum, the magazine of Florida Humanities. There's a feature on Judy written by yours truly. You'll find a link on our website, thezestpodcast.com. I'm Delia Colon. I produce The Zest with help from Cheyenne Jaglau, Mark Hayes, and Blake Bass. Thanks also to Emily Lane and Janet Keeler for their help with this week's episode. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2021.